Pam Ochoa, I do not have a question for you today because you're not here with me at this intro. For those who listened last week, you know that we had to take an episode and split it into two because Miss Ochoa is on vacation. Uh, So we did not record this week. So I can't really ask her a question, but I want to tell you before we jump into the second half uh, of last week's Q&A episode is that this episode is now sponsored by 13 of our patrons. For those of you who've been listening, it took us a while to hit 10, and now we've crossed 13, which means we're almost at our next goal, which is two bonus episodes a month rather than one. But the people supporting this podcast and getting access to exclusive content, including extra episodes no one else hears, videos no one else sees, PD that is being offered very soon, are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Nalissa, Destiny, Lori, and Natalie. You guys are killing it. You're supporting the show. Thank you so much for doing that. It really does help us do what we do here. We try to make this podcast all about students, all about the content, and to really spend as much time as we do here. Um, It does take that effort that you guys give back. So lovely, lovely. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. If you don't, subscribe so you don't miss any other episode. Leave a review. Those reviews really do help share this with people who who you think might really enjoy it. And otherwise, let's go enjoy the rest of our conversation. Let's go on to uh, independent reading because this is something that I don't know. I I mean, my journey through independent reading has been wonderful and I absolutely love it. But one thing I didn't do this year that you and our partner did was you all also incorporated uh, some literature circle style things. we all did a whole class novel each for sure, um, and I did that last year. I didn't do that this year, but I was wanting to know how you balance that because I think that's the key with any any conversation around uh, independent reading. It's really about you know how much time are we going to give to that? Is it going to take away from our class reads, our literature circles if you're doing those, a whole group novel if you're going to add one of those? And I just wanted to know, you know, how do you after having you know a month or so of you know, looking back and kind of processing everything that happened, do you feel like that was the right move to, to bring in some of those more whole class reads? Well, I do. I I do think the whole class read at times is a good thing. Uh, The literature circles, they each serve a different purpose. And I think that's what you've got to know is why are you doing it? To me, uh, we were talking about the scores earlier. I don't think there's nothing that increases those scores better than independent reading. But not just independent reading where they're just reading whatever. It's it's. I want them to start thinking about what they're reading, right? And so I show them how to do that with these other uh, literature circles and... Um, you know, with the whole class read. So that's where I show them how to do it. And I talk them through. So the whole class read for me is when I'm ready to move them to thinking about things at a more sophisticated level, then that's where I will use a whole class read. Um, And I think it's okay to do it sometimes with um, articles. I do that, you know, with articles, with nonfiction, 
pieces. But the thing about the novel is it, it just lasts a long time. And so you're showing them how to sustain that thought over a long period of time, sustain that activity. Um, because it's one thing to read a short piece but for tests and different things in life that they're going to have to do, they're going to have to have that uh, sustained reading. So you, you get the sustained reading by reading independently, but you show them how to think while they're doing that with those other, other uh, types of books. But I do agree when you're trying to fit in um, uh, independent reading and literature circles when i do that i have to and not uh, i have to uh figure out sometimes i'll alternate so today i'll say we're reading our literature circles during our free time that's what you got to do literature circle books and then uh in my mini lesson i'll tell them kind of what we're doing and then they go do it with their books whereas in um independent reading uh, I'll ha- I always have them do something at the end of their independent reading, and that's where I also show them how to think. Um, but they always respond. Uh, maybe not a hundred percent always, but often I have them respond to their reading uh, independently as well, and it kind of cor- corresponds to the type of lesson I'm about to go into. Well, what's getting me thinking about all this is. Uh, kind of the new star test and just kind of tweaks that, you know, we kind of always obviously have to make it. A lot of those are in writing, but you know, they're responding to their reading on the new star test right there. It's so much more of a reader response and it's not just like explain the conflict. It's describe events uh, that develop the theme in this story or in this play or in this poem, right? And, we, you know, I'm already comfortable with that multi-genre approach and kind of, you know, we can talk about theme in multiple genres or talk about argument in multiple genres. Um, but it's that being able to track piece that I keep thinking about because it's it's something that I feel like I'm going to try to incorporate more into their own responses, whether it's independent reading, what we're doing in mini lessons, but really talk about like how our ideas threaded through stuff. Cause we talk a lot about plot, right? We talk about rising mm-hmm. action and climaxes and we talk about turning points and all that other stuff. Um, but I think what's the language of what we talk about with stories is really, it looks like the state, at least ours looks like it's really pushing for, uh, that it, it wants evidence that you can track how a theme develops through something or how a conflict uh, develops through something and, and in a more sophisticated way than normal. And part of that is because of the what's being asked, but also part of it is it's it's hard to articulate those things, right? It's hard to really break some of this down, especially if you're a young reader, especially if you're someone who never has to read anything for long periods of time, Um and I, I think that's something that we kind of have to think about. So I was, I don't know, like that almost seems like it could be a, like a early, like almost tacked on to the read like a reader, read like a writer, what threads go through this whole piece. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, a, a little jingle there, but um, you know, it's the, I don't know. Do you get what I'm, what I'm kind of thinking through here? Mm-hmm. What a, I mean, when it comes to, doing that. I mean, is there anything you've ever used to really help students uh, track some of these deeper things as they're reading? Any strategies, ideas, thoughts? 
Well, that's like I said, when I when I read with the whole group or I think aloud, a lot of times I do the think aloud. And then, but often what I do is I will take uh, if they can, I like to use colors. So I do a lot of color coding when they read. And so I don't do it like every time, but I may have them add a color to a particular thought that they think might be a thematic moment. And and I've done a mini lesson to show them, you know, that themes are deal with um, not just individual or that character, but they move beyond the page. Uh, They often deal with problems or with uh, truths about human nature. And we talk about like maybe friendship. Uh, People experience friendship, but what is it about that friendship that people experience and what's true about that friendship across multi lines. In other words, not just for that character, but maybe for you, maybe for your friend, maybe for somebody on the other side of the world, what's true. And so when they find something like that in a book, they give it a color. And so it's kind of cool because if they write with different uh, ink or anything like that, when they've taken their notes in their uh, craft book, then they could be um, on that left side, they could have color-coded mm-hmm. notes, but they would be following a theme or an idea or a thread or a character all the way through that piece. I've also had them do where they following the character, where that particular character every time, um, and I, and I got this idea from uh, Jim Burke. Uh, he wrote the teachers, the English teachers' companion, and then he wrote another one about reading. And I get a lot of, I, I used to get a lot of stuff from him and he just retired this year, but anyway, but he, um, he would talk about following the characters and he would follow their emotions. So he would actually track their emotions through the entire piece. And so if it was a high or if it was a low, if it was a high, and then they would go back in and find out, well, what made them have a good moment? What made them have a bad moment? Did they have more bad moments than good moments? What was the cause? What did the character say during that time? But they would just track the character and then they would add uh, their thoughts to it and come back and, and do that. So those are things that, you know, when did the character really make the biggest change? Uh, did the character stay that way or did the character change at all? Like, do you see part of the character in like starting out like everything's happy and wonderful all the way through and then all of a sudden they dive and they so you you put like a, a line a zero line and so you they they kind of wave or put points above and beyond below that line and then if they stay below that line at the last part of the novel then you know that's when they hit their crisis then they come back up they probably solved it so it's just kind of an interesting thing uh, to have the kids visualize so i try to get them to visualize as much as possible i do it with colors and tracking and things like that did that help yeah i mean i just think it's it's really fascinating i think it's also good to talk in this way i don't know if i've ever really talked about um like i've talked about how language develops a lot and i've talked you know obviously about plot and stuff um, or how even an argument develops, but I don't think I've ever really threaded it in this way. And I think that's what made me really want to talk about this because it's, it, I mean, it might be a little blind spot in how I've been teaching uh, some of the skills of reading because I think it's really good. I think, see, I interpret it so much differently though. Like I, I almost think of everything in terms of music 
right? I think of like the rhythm of scenes and the rhythm of language and kind of the the melodies of the word choices and whatnot. And so I I think that's just how I think about it abstractly. So sometimes I forget to thread in some of the more visual aspects for some te- uh, for learners and stuff because I just don't I don't I, I process abstract almost right and so mm-hmm. I almost grasp onto themes and those things easier than I do like a general plot like it's not hard to trick me in a story in a novel like I've read stuff <laughs> and I'm just like man I just didn't see it coming and my wife was like I predicted that like a hundred pages ago or something. <laughs> A long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, and I just – I don't know why. It's just – I'm always big picture, I guess. But in any case, I I just think that's – I think that's really cool. And it could be cool, you know, even if I wanted to just end their general independent reading, just, you know, what are the threads – that you that are you're kind of tracking right and they're like it's almost like I could imagine like a little chart and they just have they can make as many boxes as they want or as many columns as they want and at the top it's like what's the first trend you see oh there's a conflict between these two friends right so that's like trend one and then maybe that trend continues maybe it doesn't and then see how many they could really add and kind of when I say track you know it's not like okay now give me a a full page summary on this every time you right. read. You know, it's like a little note here. Oh, this continues here, or this added here, or this ended. And that could, I mean, if you're reading complex stuff, that chart could really be sophisticated. Um, but if you're reading like a short story or a passage that we might use for, I don't know, test taking or something like that, mm-hmm. um, that could be in, like just good for them to think about is just think about your threads. And then guess what? Oh, now they're asked about the theme thread. You know, and so it's like, okay, mm-hmm. so you look at your theme and now you have your essential guide to answering that in a in a written response, right? Right. I think so. I mean, and that's a painless strategy because it's, I mean, it's as complicated or as uncomplicated as the story and they're not, mm-hmm. they're not reading, you know, uh, great expectations on the, on the star test in, in all of its entirety, at least they might have an excerpt every once in a while, but, um, so they're not reading these full novels. So I think in that term, this I don't know, that seems like it might be interesting. I think I might just try that just to see if it works. You know, that seems like something like an idea where I'm like, hey, do this. And then if it doesn't work, I'm like, ah, we're going we're gonna to scrap yeah. that. But I could see some possibility there. Well, you know, that's like annotating and, and doing notes. You know, we used to make all of our AP students, when I taught at high school, they had to do these anecdotal notes. And and they would, I mean, I had pages and pages and pages of, of uh, uh, notes, um, you know, all the way through the pieces the kids would do. And then, then I'd have to figure out a way to, how do you show those notes? How do I grade them? And then it got to where it was just, all about, can I get my 50 notes that the teacher wants me to get? And they weren't really paying attention. So I think when we do track things or when we do that, like you're talking about, you can go ahead and give it a try, but sometimes it's so tedious. It's not, it it ruins the the reading moment. So a lot of times what I do to kind of counter that is I may want, first of all, I'm not going to have them do 50 notes. You know, I'm not going to put a number on it. And I think I like your idea of tracking a trend or something like that. So you're not really putting a number. You're just there. It's open-ended. But then the other thing too is a lot of times I'll have them read to a certain section and then I say, okay, now go back. Can you find the trend? So, so they're actually reading 
all the way through and enjoying the piece. And then they go back on a second reading and they begin their analysis. Uh, sometimes that slows you down, but you could, if you're doing a whole novel or something like that, you wouldn't want to do that for the whole novel. You just might, as a teacher, if you've read that novel and, or if like a whole class, you are reading that novel, then you might find certain chapters that are probably more prominent um, to change or to that type of thing that you really want this students to focus in on, you can have them go back and really analyze like an excerpt uh, from the book or something like that. You could do that. So, but I, I think letting them read first and enjoy it is more important. I think sometimes, and I've been, I'm speaking to this because I have done this. It's become more about the notes that I can get from the kids versus do they really understand and like the book? Because Interest in the book, understanding it goes way further than writing a bunch of notes. Well, and it's also, I, I like uh, kind of how Kelly Gallagher and Penny Kittle handle that. They always call them passes, right? Mm-hmm. Our first pass might be just to read it and to talk about what we experience, what we see. There's no right or wrong in this phase. It's just consuming right. it. And then depending on how long the pay, piece is, you know, uh, pass two, pass three. Um, I really like that mentality in terms of um keeping that enjoyment factor i think it is key because like especially for poetry you know sometimes like you read a poem and it uh you know you might not get it but you like it for some reason right like i remember hearing invictus for the first time and having no idea what i was hearing but i loved it i was like this is awesome whatever it is Mm -hmm. and then you know you go into it and there's obviously all kinds of layers to it but i think that's that speaks to a lot about it. I also think that helps bridging the gap between, um, which I find challenging sometimes, like the the more authentic stuff, so them independently reading, and then me putting something in front of them, say, hey, we're going to read this and analyze it, right? There's, It's almost like a, you know, it's, we got to get back to the serious stuff every once in a while. I'm not saying independent reading is not serious, but the school side, and that balance is sometimes difficult. But if we marry that with, you know, we still, even though we are analyzing this and we are teaching to a standard, and you probably will be assessed on this at some point, we still read to read. We're still readers when we approach this. We're not, we don't lose that aspect of us. Um, and I think that, you know, that probably will go a long way, um, and does go a long way for, uh, you know, not burning kids out so much. I feel like I think that's what happens is that it happens in writing too, where we just, everything we do becomes more about the task than the readers and writers. Um, one of the, my favorite quotes from the the season finale of Teach Me Teacher with Donalyn Miller was um, we she it was close to, I think to the end of the second half of the talk and she said she just wishes that more reading instruction and that more reading trainings and professional developments would talk about readers more. It's always about what readers do or their task or whatever, but it's hardly about readers. And I was mm-hmm. like, that that's, I, I feel like that's what we try to do both in our invention of craft and draft and just in general with our practices is like, it's the, we still teach kids. We look at their data and stuff, right. but they're still humans. They still have experiences. We're still, we teach readers first and writers first, and then we kind of, uh, give them the skills from there. And I think that's a, that's a healthy way of going. Like if you attack every day, I feel with that idea, you might not always be successful, but you'll probably do better at creating, uh, 
readers who read past your class and writers who write past your class, which is the key, right? If they stop reading when they leave us, what good did we do? Right. No, I, I agree. And that's, that's, and, and they have to be able to read with a critical eye and they have to be able to write as well in the same manner. And, but I, you know, I just, I just think test prep only, or like I said, it, you, you got to really think about what's the purpose behind why you're doing what you're doing in the classroom. And if it's student centered, if it's going to move the kids to a better life, if you will, right? Help them become thinkers and readers and um, participants in this life that we have. Then I think you're 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 golden in what you're what you're wanting to do. Because um, I want my goal for my kids is to be far beyond. I told my students years ago, you know, when um, whoever was president, I don't remember, but uh, at the time, uh, I'm like, I don't know which one of you is going to be the next president. You know, but one of y'all might be. I mean, our president right now was in someone's class at one time. You know, nobody knew that he was going to be the president, right? So it's just kind of fascinating. I start thinking, that's how we got to look at our students. We don't know who's going to be doing what. We don't know who's going to find the actual cure for all the cancer. We don't know who, but they might be in your class right now. And we got to teach all of these students like they're that person, you know, because, and we want to, we want to teach them in a way that they can be successful when they get to those, um, those parts in their life. And uh, to me, that's, that's um, probably why I'm still in it. Well, and here's the thing. We're very fortunate to be in our district because we, we have a ELA framework and a literacy plan. And they both talk about how our district believes that literacy is a human right. And it's something that we work towards and it's sophistication. So if you think of it that way, I mean, what we're doing, I mean, I feel like we know this, but it's good to talk about it sometimes is we really are. I mean, when you talk about improving lives, being able to be someone who can read critically and write effectively, talk about life-changing skills. I mean, think of how many doors open just because you're a strong reader or writer. I mean, there's there's literally it's 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 my foundation. I am not traditionally educated. I'm not I really don't have any positive education credentials to my name besides my two masters, but I didn't get those until, you know, my late 20s. Um I but every opportunity that I have been given has been built on my ability to read and write effectively because that allowed me to speak effectively and defend what I say and be confident and not be schooled by people who were far smarter than me and had far better uh, educational experiences both in uh you know K12 and uh college I've been able to hang uh with a lot of these people and people who I idolize and people who by all stretches of the imagination, um, if you just looked at us on paper, like we, there would probably be a divide, but me reading so much, like I wasn't going to a lot of classes in high school, but I was reading, you know, like the origin of species and a brief history of time by Hawkins. You know, I was reading all of that stuff. I was reading young and all of this stuff for fun. Right. And so it gave me this really big foundation to where, um, I I developed those skills. Now, here's the thing. If I didn't stumble into those, my er, that early literacy, that positive literacy experience was most of it was from my teachers. Um, I could have stayed, I would have 
been far more likely to have stayed in that cycle of, you know, drug abuse and, and kind of relative poverty that my family has kind of cycled all into. Um, but I had that literacy foundation. So when I was able, it wasn't like I was barred off, right? Because if you don't have access to a high level of reading ability and writing and speaking and everything else and listening, even all of the literacy, you, it bars you off from me even being considered for certain jobs, Right. And, and being that because you get judged on those things, you, and, and it just, this is what we're talking about though. When we break these cycles, when we give kids something that really can revolutionize their life, regardless of if they have, um, if they're very privileged and have a lot of access to high quality books and education for their whole lives, or if they're more like me, where a lot of that was a crapshoot, it just depended on what happened. Um, <laughs> literacy still benefits both of us and, and mm-hmm. relatively the same ways. And you just, you just don't know, but I think that's the importance of what we do here. That's the importance of this work and why, you know, we can talk data and scores and all that all the time. And we do, but we, there's also a purpose for what we do for sure. Yeah. Well, we're, like you said, we're building lives and changing them. Mm. And it's it's crazy the kind of influence a teacher has mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, just think about how many people you have come in contact with just in, I don't know, however many years you've been teaching. But I know I've been go, doing it for 30. So look at the amount of kids you have each year. I mean, those mm-hmm. are a lot of lives well, that you've had the opportunity to influence. And I think there's a high responsibility for it. And, mm-hmm. and I do think... Um, it's okay to be held accountable because I think, I, I think uh, we're very impactful. Yeah. Well, one last thing I was thinking about is the you know the impact of teachers and whatnot. Is I don't I don't know if I've said this on any show or not. I I post on social media, but um, that training I'm doing in Alito over rightfully empowered is I'm actually bringing four of the rightfully empowered kids with me. Awesome. Um, but it's going to be hilarious because the person who's running this, or at least uh, touching a lot of it, is you know my life mentor. She taught me twice in high school, and so I'll be there as her student, and then these students are with me. So you literally in that scenario alone, you have generational effects of teachers. And then uh, at least one of the four says she wants to be a teacher. So there we go. The cycle begins. It does. And it's just, it's the, it's the legacy that is wild to me. Cause I'm, I, I think about that stuff a lot, you know, just the leg I legacy over money all day, even though I want money legacy over money all day. And that's, that's what this job is. And just thinking about that and how they're all going to be there and we'll be, it's literally my life mentor and then me and then them. It's just this little thing. It just keeps going. But that's, that's a small scale on what we're talking about. Cause we influence kids that we don't even know we influence. True. It just goes on. Very true. But in any case, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a two-part episode of Craft and Draft. This is the real outro. I guess I'll have to do a fake outro for part one. Or maybe, I don't know. I don't know what we'll do. Maybe I'll just use this for both. I'll cut it both. So if you're hearing this twice, you know that we've done a a cut and paste. We'll see the energy I have. But in any case, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. It's been Craft and Draft. That's Pamela Trump. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're two English teachers down here in the state of Texas loving what we do around reading and writing workshop. If you love reading and writing workshop too, and you want personalized PD direct contact with us or just a a group of teachers to talk to, we have a little healthy community over there budding over there on Patreon. If you're a patron, you get 
free bonus episodes every single month. You get bonus videos, and starting in July, you're getting regular PD uh, videos, including uh, all kinds of things. We're going to go all over the place. We have uh, uh, one cooking right now, so stay tuned. You're going to be announcing to that, but go join us over there on Patreon. You can support the show and be a part of keeping the show going and awesome. But if you don't want to do that, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Hit that review button, that five star. Let everyone else know that they should be listening to Craft and Draft. Show us with your PLN. Come back next week for another fantastic episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here. For you. <laughs> <laughs>